Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Bryce Simon is in the building and we have news on the podcast, folks. It's exciting news. We love it here uh, and we're excited uh, to be talking about it. We're going to talk a little bit about James Harden. Maybe he is going to get to the Clippers, maybe not. We'll hear from Adrian Wojnarowski on his little hit that he did on ESPN and kind of talk about that. We're going to talk about Kai Jones requesting a trade because, my goodness, we're going to talk uh, about breakout players, though, for the most part. Bryce and I did a big list of like eight or nine, ten guys, I feel like, that we really wanted to talk about in terms of guys that we really think are going to break out in the NBA this season. We couldn't be more excited uh, to break down some of these players and discuss why we think they are kind of in some cases stars in waiting, in some cases guys going from all-stars to all-NBA, in some cases guys going from just out of the rotation into being really useful role players, right? Uh, We have a nice little mix of players and player types and everything, so we're really excited to talk with you guys about that. But first, we have some podcast news. We have some podcast news. So, as it was announced by let, let's let's get this right. Who who got the news before Adam and I got to break it? Uh, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit annoyed about that. Uh, Colby Giacubano, uh, Colby G Hoops over on Twitter. Congrats to boys Latin head coach Adam Spinella, who has accepted a scouting role with the Philadelphia 76ers per source. He will move into that role immediately as BL looks for a replacement head coach for the 23-24 season. A tremendous move for Philly. Strong agree, obviously. Look, Colby, I I get it that he's the boys Latin head coach, but really it's co-host of the Game 3 podcast. (laughs) Like, come on, let's, let's get the titles here correct. But obviously super excited for Adam. I'm going to try and get Adam to come on later this week and we'll talk about it a little bit more and talk about what's going on for like 10 minutes or whatever. Uh, but Colby kind of beat us to the punch and Adam is actually out scouting a game right now. So we couldn't have Adam come in and do this, but Bryce is actually going to be joining the show, which is probably of no surprise to people. Uh, Bryce is going to come on with me once a week, like Adam does. And we're going to talk about prospects. Once the season gets going, we're going to talk about, uh, the NBA in the same way that Adam and I did everything like that. It, it, we're, you know, it's the same deal. It's just we're moving, moving Bryce in for Adam, and we're super excited about it. Yeah, I mean, this is awesome for Adam, Sam. It's incredible the opportunity he's getting. I'm so excited for him. He deserves it. It's something he wanted to do. How crazy is that man's life right now with the new yeah. baby and then this new job, and he's gonna crush it in Philly. And then far less important, but I I couldn't be more excited and honored that you asked me to step in his his shoes. I know people were tweeting about it today, Sam. Your coaching tree, your podcasting tree, whatever. (laughs) It is insane, Sam. And I don't know if I can live up to expectations or not, but I'll tell you this. My outlines are going to be in depth. They're going to be long. I'm going to put in the work (laughs) and I'm going to try to do the best I can. No, it's funny. Like a couple of people have brought up the coaching tree to me. I got a text from a friend who also works in the industry and was like, man, like you have so many of these dudes who have gone on and like, you know, gone to work for teams between Cole and then Penny got the job at WME and then you know, Adam going to work for the Sixers. And I think there's even another one um, off the top of my head that I can't remember, but like it, 
I do take pride in it. Like I, I really, sure. it does, it does matter to me just in terms of giving people opportunities and like giving people the platform. We're lucky enough here with the show that, you know, a lot of people listen and frankly, having talked to a lot of NBA executives, a lot of NBA executives listen. And it's just, it's really good to give smart people like you, like Adam, like Matt, you know, like Cole, everybody, r- real high level, you know, chances to be heard and be seen and everything like that. So a- absolutely like, you know, it's, it's the legacy of this show, I think for sh- more than anything else. Like that's what matters to me most. It speaks to what your podcast is, Sam. And I think it's what you want it to be, not to put your words in your mouth, but every podcast has their theme, their niche, where they want. And it's no judgment, but it just speaks to the level of basketball that you talk about and you expect from your co-hosts that they are going on to work in these type of positions. And I think that just speaks to who you are, what the podcast is. And again, awesome job by you. Awesome for Matt, for Cole, for coach spins. Now it's incredible stuff. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just really, really excited for Adam as much as anything. Like I, that's the thing. Like I get so excited for uh, people when they get jobs like this, like it's those opportunities don't come, you know, often I know that people, you know, struggle for them and really try to find them. So uh, I, I don't, you know, uh, I don't take it lightly. And I, I think that it's, you know, it's a, it's a really, really good opportunity for Adam. And I could yes. not be more excited despite my face uh, being very, uh, very serious at the moment. Uh, but yeah, Bryce is going to be joining once a week and, you know, no changes really to the show except for Bryce. Uh, it's just going to be the same deal. We're going to talk about prospects. I've been getting better at like editing and things like that. So there might be more video even than what has been normal. Once we start getting into prospects, I'm starting to pull clips. Speaking of video, people that are listening to the show over on YouTube, there's a YouTube exclusive video of me talking through Alex R tape against the G league ignite for about 70 minutes. So I would implore everybody to go watch that. I had some fun making it it's genuinely like hit me with feedback on that stuff. Like I know that the podcast is going to be where a lot of the listeners come from. If you get a chance to watch that, leave a comment in the YouTube, hit me on Twitter, DM me, whatever you want to do. Tell me what you're looking for from those stuff. Tell me who you want to see, uh, you know, break down, who you want me to break down tape of everything like that, please. I, I want as much feedback on that stuff as possible because I'm just kind of trying newer things on the YouTube channel for fun. And because I do it anyway. And, you know, if it's an hour out of my day on top of stuff that I'm doing just to kind of break down tape and talk about stuff, it's probably a worthwhile endeavor for everybody. So, uh, yeah, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe there. There's going to be a bunch more of those tape breakdowns uh, over exclusively on YouTube. Yeah, basketball needs more of that stuff, right? I see people tweeting about it all the time when these former NFL quarterbacks are breaking down game and the X's and O's and the intricacies. And I think there's there's a platform and a need for that with basketball. And so I think people are going to eat it up, so they definitely need to check it out. Dude, JT O'Sullivan is so fucking good at, the, good at it. It's unbelievable. Like th- that honestly is like a big inspiration for what I want to do. Uh, JT is next level with it. My God. Like if you care about football, go watch the QB school over on uh, YouTube. He is absolutely fantastic. Uh, okay. So let's actually get into what we're going to talk about basketball wise. 
basketball on today's show. Let's start with James Harden. James Harden, it seems like there might be like some traction on a Clippers deal potentially. Uh, even though it's clear that the 76ers aren't getting what they need from the Clippers yet. As Woj will tell us here momentarily in this clip, let's hear basically what is going on with the Clippers. Offer given they're the only team that's right that is bidding. Clippers would like to get a deal done sooner than later. They also don't want to raise their offer given they're the only team that's right that is bidding. That's on correct. Him. They've offered Philly more than anybody else has a first round pick, a pick swap, expiring contracts. What the Clippers are trying to do right now are essentially saying to Daryl Morey, okay, you don't believe that our 2028 unprotected first has enough value. They're going around to other teams and seeing if that 28 pick and or a pick swap gets them maybe multiple picks. So if you're a team that is either the teams who are interested in this conversation, teams who have lots of picks and say, okay, we'll give you two protected picks for that chance in 2028 where we think you might be really bad, right? Mm. You age out with these stars. You don't have young players. Where Daryl Morey's looking at the Clippers and saying, Steve Ballmer's never been under 500. They will figure out a way to have a competitive team. That right. may not be a great pick. And so I think for the Clippers right now, it's we're not trying to offer you more. We're not giving you that 2030 first-round pick. But let's see what we can turn that 2028 pick, see if we can flip it, and then see if there's something that more interests Daryl Morey. But that being said, there's no traction. They're not close to anything. The so... As Woj says, like, they're not close to anything, but it feels like there's, he says there's no traction there, but like when the Clippers are calling around and like trying to get something done, there are teams to do that with. Like the ones that stand out immediately, obviously are Utah, Oklahoma city. Uh, Like obviously they just have an immense number of picks that frankly, like they might not be able to use all of moving forward. So I don't know. And like, if you're the Sixers, you probably want picks that transfer a little bit sooner as opposed to later, which in this case, that Clippers pick would be 2028, I believe, in terms of an unprotected pick. Uh, He also mentioned they're willing to offer a pick swap, which is interesting. But again, you know, as Woj says in that clip, I don't know how valuable a pick swap with the Clippers is necessarily just because the Clippers have been pretty good under Steve Ballmer's ownership because they pay and they spend and everything like that. So uh, basically though, Woj does lay out the bones of the offer here. It seems like the offer is Marcus Morris, one of Nick Batum or Robert Covington, maybe even both, honestly, I guess it'd probably have to be both. So it'd probably be Morris Batum Covington uh, for James Harden. And then they've added a first round pick and a pick swap in there. That's what makes the most sense based on what Woj said. And I I don't know, that feels not disastrous, but I also understand why Philly doesn't want to do that. I mean, my thing is this really about the picks or can Philly make this trade, Sam, and not go to bed every night freaking out that Joe Embiid is the next one to ask for a trade because where are you getting with those guys? And I, I realize I think all three of them are expiring, if I'm not mistaken. And I realize they're setting up for free agency and to have this cap space next offseason. 
but you can't punt on a full season when you have Joel Embiid. And I realize Tyrese Maxey is there and he'll probably come in and fill a really big role. But I, I just, I don't think it, I don't think the pick is what's holding it up here. It's you got to get something that can help you win games this year, right? Don't you, if you're Philly, I feel like you do. So t- to me, w- what I hear when I hear that is that Daryl Morey doesn't really care about the actual like substance of the draft pick, right? Like he doesn't look, he might want to use like a couple of them, but like, he doesn't want to like take that draft pick and like take it to the draft. I think he wants it like for the asset of having the Move draft on to pick. the next thing. Yeah. And the big thing worth noting with the 76ers is that if they play their cards right in terms of keeping cap space open this year and then maintaining the low cap hold on Tyrese Maxey by not extending him, which it seems like is going to be the play for them, they can have damn near max cap space to the point where they could maneuver and make it work by, you know, maybe moving PJ Tucker in the off season, something like that, maybe trying to, uh, you know, move PJ Tucker in this James Harden deal. If they could, I would imagine that wouldn't be a problem for them. Uh, and honestly, like if the Clippers really want Harden, they might be willing to take PJ Tucker back in this deal, especially given that if they're taking back expiring salary or if they're trading expiring salaries out, uh, those guys are Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, Robert yep. Covington. They actually might be able to use PJ Tucker yeah. in terms of depth. So, it could make a real tremendous amount of sense. Like if they, if they, if the Sixers really want to, and they're able to move Tucker, they have Joel Embiid's fifty-one million on the books next year. They could potentially only really have like the Tyrese Maxi cap hold on top of that, which the Maxi cap hold I believe would be right around thirteen million. So you're talking about sixty-four. Uh, million dollars on their books, depending on what they want to do with Jaden Springer as well, because he has a club option that they're going to have to make a decision on here coming up. Uh, and then they also have the seven million on Paul Reed that they can play with, and you know that's a non-guaranteed deal, so uh, it becomes guaranteed if they make a deep run. But they're probably not going to make a deep run without James Harden if they don't get anything back. So, to me, what I look at when I see all of this is I think the Sixers want to maintain cap space for next offseason where they can hopefully go out and get some sort of free agency star. Let's say Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, one of those two leave, maybe both of them leave. You could look at, even though they're Pascal's both LA, a free like, agent, right? I don't know if they want to. Pascal's a free agent. OG Ananobi can hit free agency. There are names that you can theoretically look at and see as really interesting fits with Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. Do I think this is the right strategy? I don't. I don't think they're in. I don't think they have a, a great strategy here. So, I, I think that like you made the wrong call on Harden. It seems like going to get him. Now you're trying to make the best of a shit sandwich, and I think they're probably going about it the right way. I wouldn't want this Clippers pick. I like the idea of making the Clippers go out to like Oklahoma City and saying, "Hey." you guys have more picks than you're going to be able to use in the next four years. Give us two for one here, you know, or something like that. We'll give you the pick unprotected in 2028. The Thunder did a deal very similar to this with the Nuggets this past, uh, this past NBA draft. 
So maybe it's Utah, maybe it's the Thunder. Utah obviously did a kind of interesting deal with the Conley, Vanderbilt, Beasley situation where they took an unprotected, basically, Lakers pick instead of getting like a bunch of picks for them. So this could be a valuable asset, an unprotected Clippers pick, but I don't necessarily know what to do with it yet either. So that was the other interesting aspect to me is that Maury doesn't value that pick, but do other teams. Would you just take that pick over something they're going to get in exchange from the Thunder or the Jazz? I don't think you're going to trade with the Knicks because I think we all know what the Knicks are saving up assets to try to do. And so I don't think that they're going to get in on this. You know, PG in 2028, PG 13 will be 37, Kawhi 36, Harden 38. And as Woj said in that clip, there's not a whole lot of influx of young talent with the Clippers. Now, it was also, you know, you've mentioned this, or maybe it was Woj in the clip. They have been solid for over a decade now. But what would you do then, Sam? Would you just take that? Let's say you're going to do the deal, right? Like you have to trade James Harden. He's not going to come back and play for you. You got to move in. Like it just is what it is. You got to take the expirings. That's part of the deal. Are you going to take that 2028 and a 2029 pick swap? Or would you tell the Clippers, go get us something better? I would tell them, go get us more. For sure. I would. Uh, I, I, I would tell them to go get me something different. And if that doesn't exist, then you're kind of in a tough spot. But I do think that there are real options there and look like it could be like that you have to negotiate this on your end right like Daryl Morey might have to actually make the effort here uh but to me you want a large something sooner you want something sooner is that what you would want right you want something in 24 25 26 I think I want something in those next three years as opposed to like the 2028 pick that the Clippers can offer and a pick swap. Yeah. I I would want all of the potential. uh, I I would want a higher number of assets given that my quantity of assets to move in a potential star trade down the road is actually quite low right now. Uh, Beyond like my own picks, right? Because they could theoretically have some picks, but you know it's it is theoretical at this point. And it lets our guy Coach Spins get in on his draft scouting right away in the next couple of years. It. And you, you got Coach Spins scouting, so you're going to hit on these picks. Let me throw this one at you, Sam. You've tweeted about Buddy Hield, right? I, I tried to come up with some other alternate universe options here. Mm-hmm. Would you even consider three team deal? Buddy Hield's on an expiring, Sam. You do a three-team deal. You bring in Buddy Hield, who at least helps you be a little bit competitive this year. You're not going to be better than the Celtics and the Bucks, but you're not going to be better than them anyway. Bring Mm -hmm. in Buddy Hield. Maybe that appeases Joel. You're just good enough that Joel's still happy. He's on an expiring. You get all the cap space. Is that a better alternative than maybe taking back some of the draft assets? Because you're not getting all the draft assets then. But what are you giving up for Buddy Heald? You're probably the, losing. The, the picks. Yeah. The pick. To me, I would rather just have the picks in that circumstance. I, think I agree with you. Almost treat this. Look, this is going to suck. But like, I think you kind of have to treat this as a punt year if you're losing oh. Harden and not getting any like current value back. And you just have to hope that Joel rocks with it. Look, the, the issue is that I don't think Buddy Heald tangibly changes their title hopes this year. And I don't think that Buddy Heald tangibly changes like 
their long-term hopes to keep Joel Embiid. I agree. So I think you have to have an open conversation with Joel Embiid at this stage and just be like, look, this is what's going on. And Joel's going to ask for a trade or he's not going to ask for a trade. Right. And if he asks for a trade, then, you know, you have to work through that situation. And if he doesn't, then he's willing to go along with it. And you see what it looks like this off season. You basically just have to get Joel to this off season. And then you have to see what you can build with him. Like as long as you get Joel to this off season, you might be okay. But you then have to prove to him this off season that you're not going to like fail. You're not going to like fail him. If you do, then you actually probably do have to move Joel this off season. Like if you can't get a max player, you can't use these assets to go out and get another star. Right. Then that's when a rebuild becomes like a real thing. And then you move Joel for all the assets that you can imagine. And that's an interesting way to look at things too. That's so far down the road. I don't want to dive into like the <laughs> asset hall that Joel Embiid would oh, get. Oh man, yeah. But th- that's where you're at. Like, I think you kind of have to treat this season not as a punt because with Joel, you probably win 45 games, 42 games, something like that as it is. If you move Harden and don't get any current value back, but it's, it's tricky. It's a really hard spot. And I guess that's where I, I asked you last that time I was on about like, do the Bucks and Celtics making the moves they made kind of change the mindset of some teams? And if I'm the Sixers, I'm like, I'm not competing with those teams either way. I, I don't know if they're competing if James Harden stays with the Sixers. And so it's almost I, I don't like, think they are. Yeah, so, so it, it's that's a tough conversation to have with Joel Embiid, right? That sucks. But it's also like we're you're professionals. This is the game. This is what it is. And uh, like you say, that's why you get paid a lot of money. That's why you're in the spot you're in to go to him and have this conversation and say, "Hey, we're going to go win as many games as we can this year with what we have. This is our situation." Lay it all out there, Joel. Stay with us for a year and then let us prove to you in the offseason that we're going to go be title contenders in 2024, 2025. And like you said, maybe Joel tells you to kick rocks and I want to go to New York or wherever. I know Knicks fans have to be eating this up right now because they've been thinking about this for a while. Yeah, like Lawrence Field in the YouTube comments says, I think the Knicks and maybe the Jazz would be the only bidders on the Embiid sweepstakes. Uh I, I disagree, but I do think the Knicks would be strongly interested. So that's really what would matter in this. And if you're moving Embiid, you're getting five firsts and whatever else, right? Like it's it's it'd be a it'd be a really ridiculous haul, uh, given what he's capable of. Sam, real quick, and I know we got other stuff. We're getting a lot of feedback on you can't punt with Joel Embiid. You can't punt with Joel. What are their other options, Sam? Like, what are the, you're just going to keep James Harden, an unhappy James Harden? Like, right now he's showing up. He's doing what he, he – he's actually handling it the right way, it sounds like. Like, all the reports sound like he's being a professional, which, great. What are you going to – what do you do? What are their other op- – nobody else is in the James Harden sweepstakes. So, I, I, I don't know what – they've already made the mistake, as you alluded to earlier – I don't know what they do with it now. It just is what it is almost. I hate to say it, but I don't know what the alternative is. I mean, the alternative is that you just try and like win now and like you, you go and get like him. another, you just keep roll. You keep turning over draft picks into, you know, whatever you can get. And you say, Joel, go win us 50 and everything like that. But I, I don't, 
Uh, that's not what I would do. I think that's a bad strategy personally. Uh, and I think James Harden is like royally screwed them here if he's not willing to stay. Like truly, he's just royally screwed them and there's not another way to put that given how much faith and value that Daryl Morey put in him. And you can say Daryl Morey like screwed this up in some respect as well. But as Cuckoo DMV says, punting a year with the current MVP is crazy. I get that. And more than anything, that's a hard sell to sell to Joel. And that's why you need to know what's going on here. Like you need to have that conversation with Joel. Joel is a very confident person. He knows that, you know, he wants to win a title. He's very competitive, but do you think this team's contending with, you know, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, and, you know, DeAnthony Melton and Paul Reed and those guys, Uh, like, I mean, you keep like Marcus Morris and bring back Robert Covington and Nick Batum and, you know, then you're hoping for Pat Bev and Jaden Springer to step in and Ubre to step in. Like that, that team can't compete with Celtics. I'm sorry. They, they, they the team cannot compete with the Bucks either. I'm sorry. And Embiid still has a few more like prime years. I just looked it up. Embiid is 29. And so you still have a championship elite MVP level window with him. But I understand what people are saying. It just sucks to think that you would lose a year of really competing when he's in his prime. I get it. I completely understand it. It sucks. I just, I know I keep saying it. I don't know what the option is, Sam, unless, like I say, like you try to trade for Buddy Hild or does Malcolm Brogdon change how many games you're going to win this year if you do a three-team with the Portland Trailblazers? Those were the only two names I could come up with. Probably, like those guys probably do help you a lot. But they don't move the needle like in a series with Boston. They don't and move Brogdon's the on a two-year contract, with- Sam. So Brogdon actually hurts your flexibility going into the offseason now. So if you want to say, hey, bring in the sixth man of the year, reigning sixth man of the year, that makes you better, more competitive. Sure. But now where is the cap flexibility going into the summer? So They're in a rock and a hard place right now, like just right in between it. And I feel for 76ers fans because, God, like – Look, I, I think that there were mitigating factors in terms of why the process ended up, you know, being cut short. And I think that Sam Hinkie would have done a drastically better job than the mix of the Colangelo's, Brett Brown, Elton Brand, and, you know, now the unfortunately poor decision by Daryl Morey to go all in with James Harden. But it's, I feel for 76ers fans. I do. Real quick, I don't feel like everybody talks about the other side of this. How good is the Harden PG-13 Kawhi team? Is that second best team in the West? I assume we're going to work under the Nuggets or the best. That depth did take a hit in Denver, as we'll talk about a little bit later whenever we get into some of these guys we're going to break out, guys we're going to talk about. But second best team in the West? Be they'd be in the conversation for sure. I think the Lakers are going to be awesome yeah. for reasons I'm sure we'll talk about later. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, uh, like it, it's just such a deep, it's, it's such crazy. a deep group of teams. Like Phoenix is going to be good. Like Nurkic is going to help their offense yeah, sh- for sure. Sh- I, I don't know, I don't know how they're going to defend, but like they, that offense is going to be a monster. Like, I don't think the Timberwolves are in this conversation really to like be at the top of the league, but I think the Timberwolves are going to be good. 
Another guy right. we're going to talk about later. Yeah, the Timberwolves are interesting. It, man, yeah. that West is a bloodbath, man. It's a bloodbath. And then we haven't even mentioned like Dallas. Like Dallas might be like the eighth or ninth best team. And Oklahoma City might be like the ninth or tenth best team. That that team is loaded. Like I love that group so much. Uh, it, it's, yeah, I mean, look. Like they have Tobias Harden and PJ Tucker's contracts to play with this season. They have several avenues to acquire a team that makes sense around Embiid and Maxi. Totally agree with that. Uh, it's just reducing their flexibility in the offseason to do it. So they have to make a calculated decision based on that open conversation that you have with Joel Embiid. Joel, are you going to ask? I mean, you can't do it like this, but like, Joel, are you going to ask out? If we have to like not, if we try and take it to the off season to acquire talent when it's a little bit easier, it's hard to acquire stars in the season. Like I know that Kevin Durant and Kyrie moved last year. That was kind of a weird extenuating circumstance. It's typically pretty hard for stars to move uh, in that, like in the middle of the season. So we shall see. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Kai Jones before we jump into breakout players. Okay. Let's dive in to Kai Jones. So Kai Jones is uh he has announced that he's requesting a trade. Uh, Kai, Kai has been tweeting through it recently. I don't know what to make of any of that. I, I hope Kai Jones as well uh, before we get into what we're going to talk about. But Kai, Kai Jones asking for a trade, I mean, that's not uh, it's not something that's probably going to go well i mean per the cba any player uh who publicly expresses a desire to be traded to another team shall be subject to a fine and or suspension the maximum fine that may be imposed by the nba on a player pursuant to the foregoing shall be one hundred fifty thousand dollars. so like you know that's an expensive tweet sam that's a very expensive tweet that kai jones sent yesterday a potentially expensive tweet. I hope Kai Jones as well. Uh, Agreed. Well, do you yes. want to talk real quick about like the player Kai Jones? Because Kai Jones could not close games for the Charlotte Hornets at Summer League this year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where you got to perform on the court if you want to be a little bit of a headache. And to reiterate what you're saying, it you just hope he's okay. Like you, th- you hope everything's good. If there's something going on that he gets help, if he needs it, I'm not saying that he does, but it's like, you know, he was open. When's the last time we heard someone openly bad mouth his teammates the way he was in terms of, I'm just flat out better than this guy. And I'm just flat. Out. There's just other nuanced ways to say these things, Sam. And so it's just, it is a little bit, it's not a little bit, it's sad because you hate to see people throw away an opportunity like this and he hasn't performed well enough for teams to go, Hey, we'll give him another chance or, you know, whatever. It's just, it really, it it stinks to see. It actually really does. He's one of the most impressive athletes I've ever evaluated. Absolutely. Blank. Uh, 
he just hasn't learned how to defend and hasn't learned like how to play within the team concept in the way that you would hopefully like to see. Uh, yeah, I imagine this probably ends with him just like getting cut in the preseason. Uh, you know, we'll see whether or not that ends up being the case. Like, uh, it's not like they have to necessarily, but you know, just kind of looking through what they have on their roster right now, they have uh, Nathan Mensa, they have RJ Hunter, they have Edmund Sumner, and they have Frank Nilakina in camp. Uh, they have, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So they have like 14 guys, it looks oh, like. So they can just like keep them. Look, there's there's no way that they're going to pick up this $4.7 million player, like club option on Kai Jones uh, this offseason. Like I just can't imagine that that will be forthcoming and that's just going to kill his trade value. So you might as well just cut him now. I think uh, there uh, truly, like, I think I would rather take a flyer on like both Nilakina Sumner as opposed to like having to keep one of those guys uh, at this point. Yeah. Like I said, it just, it stinks to see him kind of throw away an opportunity. And again, hopefully he figures out whatever he needs to figure out, whatever that is off the court. And then that allows him to kind of get things back together and get a chance to prove himself on the court. Cause you're right. Special, special athlete is Kai Jones. Yeah. Nabil Mukhtar says as a Hornets fan, I could not care less about Kai asking for a trade. He has always been a concept of a player, even going back to college. That is true. Uh, it was always theoretical with Kai as opposed to uh, like a, proven production uh that hornets first round has to go down in history is a terrible one man him and james book night like i said that was book night right honestly like if i'm you know i don't know if mitch will do this necessarily because mitch was the one that drafted him but like there have you know with new ownership coming in there have been rumors about who is going to be the new general manager there if i was ownership i would probably just like decline both of those club options and try to just move on from that disaster 2021 NBA draft. And by the way, the craziest thing, they gave up a first round pick for Kai Jones. Like they traded back into the first to get Kai Jones. Just like you don't, you don't have to do that. <laughs> it's kind of the easiest way to say it, right? Like, uh, you know, they gave the Knicks a 2022 conditional first round pick. Like, you know, I, I get that, you know, I get that. I don't know if that conveyed, but like, it's just crazy. The, the asset management was disastrous. Book night at 11, Duarte, Moody, Shingoon, Trey Murphy in six of the picks after him. Kai Jones at 19, trade back into 19 with the Knicks to draft Kai Jones. Yeah, that that's, as he said, that's not necessarily a great draft. Yeah. And I think I had Kai Jones like in the twenties somewhere. I, I like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I thought that it wasn't a flyer worth taking, but you have to understand it was a flyer. Like it was, it's, yeah. he was not a good player like at that stage yet. Correct. It was yeah. still theoretical. theoretical. He needed to figure out what he was. And it's like, I mean, given what we've seen again, like, do you know how hard it is to be a first round pick playing your third summer league and to not be able to close summer league games? Like that's not a great look. That, 
It's not a great look. That's the best way to put it. It's not a great look. Uh, okay. Let's move to breakout players. So Bryce and I always love talking about breakout players. We love talking about guys that we're just really excited to talk about. And this is the most, this is like arguably the most fun podcast I do every year for me, at least talking about guys that I think are going to like really just explode and break out in a real tangible way. Uh, the way that we do this is we try and get a mix of guys kind of across the board. Like Bryce picked a guy, as he mentioned earlier, that he thinks is going to go from like all-star to all NBA. I picked a lot of guys that are like going to go from, you know, younger to, you know, maybe just sub all-star level. Uh, I picked some guys that are going to go to like rotation guys. Like we're, we're going to talk about a wide swath of players here. And just to be clear, there are going to be more breakout guys than what we talk about here just because so like, for instance, like Phoenix plays, he brings up, are you guys on the Scotty Barnes train? Scotty's going to have a good year. Like I'm in, like, I think Scotty, you know, that seems like they're going to give him the keys a little bit more. They're going to let him rock. I, I don't know what's going on in Toronto right now in terms of some of the uh, things that, you know, you have Pascal and OG on expiring deals and you have uh, some, you know, spacing issues in my opinion between Pascal Scotty and Jakob. I-, I love Scotty Barnes, the player, like he- we just didn't pick him here. I think he could absolutely break out. It's just like, we chose other guys. You know what and I mean? I'll have specific context. Scotty made my list of guys and shout out all of my friends in the content creation world. Cause when you sent this to me, Sam, I text everybody in my phone, like, Hey, what are you guys thinking? Who are you thinking? And that helped me combine compile a list of like 30 dudes. And then I dove into the ones I believed in and did my research. I have a very specific reason why Scotty didn't make it over the player. I ended up choosing people may or may not agree with it. I'm cool with that, but I have a reason why I chose the player I did in that category, which is kind of that jump into all starish level. So um, yep. I love the context we got here, Sam, just that, Hey, we can pick some guys in different ranges because now we get to talk about a, a multitude of players. And that's it. Like I kind of wanted to talk about a lot of different guys. Like I didn't want to just like focus on, Oh, the next all-star, right? Like yep. I want to, you know, spread the love a little bit. So I'll give you the floor. Cause I think that the first one you wanted to talk about is a guy that you think is going to go from like all-star to all NBA ish kind of level. Yeah. So I took turn into a superstar level, all NBA ish. I, and in general, I look for guys with some sort of momentum, Sam. I found a lot of guys I chose <laughs> did kind of have something to do with team USA guys with opportunity. And then there's a couple guys that have underachieved and I felt like, Hey, maybe they finally come out of it. Maybe I just can't quit them. So my first guy is Tyrese Halliburton and I'll be honest, Sam, I fell in love with him watching him actually with team USA this summer. I am a Someone that watches 82 Pistons games a year. I watch a ton of NBA draft. I always don't always get a ton of true NBA games. Sam, I'm going to do better this year now that I'm recording with you. But I really got to watch Tyrese Halliburton play with Team USA. I loved every time he came in. He's so, so good. But what I love about Tyrese and why I put him in this category, Sam, was his continuous improvement. This is a three-star recruit out of high school who has gotten better every single year, starting with his freshman year to sophomore year of college, and then every year in the NBA. And so I just am like, hey, he's going to take – who better to to take a bet on 
than a guy who has continuously showed improvement the way Tyrese Halliburton has. And so I think maybe a little bit of jump in defense, but I think this is a guy that's going to hit, you know, all all NBA superstar level. And some of that has to do again with his team being better this year as well in an Eastern conference, as we alluded to last episode, that can be a little bit open once you get past what three, four, five-ish teams. He gets his team to the sixth seed and he has an even better year than what he did, maybe a little bit better defensively. And we're talking about a potential all NBA guy. Yeah. I love this pick. I think Tyrese is an absolute stud. Uh, I, I, the way that he's able to create offense is just absolutely enormous. And I think that contextually, the moves that they made around him are only going to make him better. Having gone out and gotten Bruce Brown, yes, who is yes. one of the better short roll guys in the NBA, you can have Miles Turner spacing to the corner. You can have Bruce Brown setting screens for Tyrese. And you can, when guys put two on the ball, because that's really the thing that I think teams are really going to start being aggressive with is trying to put two on the ball and being like that next uh, that guy that like they really try and get the ball out of his hands, right? He's going to be able to hit that short roll to Bruce Brown and Bruce Brown's going to be able to play make and be able to create. Like, it's just going to be so much harder, I think, for NBA teams to manage what Tyrese brings to the table from a processing and from a skill level perspective. Also, they went out and got defensive insulation for Tyrese, which is going to allow him hopefully to really focus even more on creating offense, getting out in transition. There are a few things I love more than watching Tyrese Halliburton lead the break and find these open trailers, open lob threats, o- open anything. He makes the right decision every goddamn time. And also, like, shout out Caitlin Cooper, proponents of the jump pass here. We love the jump pass here uh, over at the Game Theory Podcast. And, and look, like, Dirty Dancer brings up the idea, I think Tyrese already sure. broke out. You're not wrong, but going from, like, top tw- – going from, like, the 75th best player – to the 25th best player. Honestly, you see that more often than you do the 25th best player becoming like the 10th best player. Correct. Like that's an even, in my opinion, and people might disagree with this to me, that's an even bigger breakout to be calling out than, you know, the traditional one. Like I'm going to mention my guy next. Like my guy is more in like the traditional route of, it was probably like the hundredth best player in the league. He'll become the 50th best player in the league, whatever. But like, I absolutely think that this is an enormous breakout call calling Tyrese going from like 25th best player in the league to 10th best player in the league. Well, I kind of freaked out. Like, am I just crazy thinking he's going to overtake Luca or SGA or Steph or Mitchell or Fox or Lillard because those are the all NBA guys Sam he has to overtake one of those guys and I'm like am I just crazy even saying this but I just I have players I really enjoy watching play and those are the ones I like talking about Sam and so that's why I brought up Tyrese I also through all of these and we don't have to do this with every guy that gets brought up or at least mine I went back and looked at some of his NBA draft stuff what people were saying and yeah people were really calling out his off the dribble shooting. 
So he shot six total as a freshman. Then as a sophomore, he was 43% from two, only 24% from three. In the NBA, I won't give all the numbers, but essentially mid to upper 40s from two and almost 40% consistently off the dribble from three, Sam. And he shot 300 off the dribble. This is all percentage last year. Talk about a guy who broke the narrative around his pre-draft. And it is, when you see him shoot, Sam, it looks funky. I, whenever I was watching the three-point competition last year, I was like, because I, I wasn't scouting this stuff back then. You know, I've just gotten into the NBA draft stuff really hard the last couple of years. I was like, I can see why people were like, man, that's a funky looking shot, but the dude makes it. And so um, it, it just, I'm betting on improvement. I'm betting on a guy with high feel and that the improvement's going to continue. Real quick, I'll throw this out and it looks like maybe you have your scout there. I do worry right. about yeah. if they trade Buddy Hield, Sam, I worry a tad about the spacing around him. Just a little bit. Because Matherin, even though I love Matherin, he didn't shoot it well from three as the year went on. Let, let's laugh at me being stupid for a minute here. Uh, my scout from Tyrese Halliburton, who I loved, I had him, it looks like it's seventh on my board. Like I, I thought he was fantastic and was like a way underrated player. I had him ahead of like Pat Williams, Denny Avdia, like a bunch of the guys that went ahead of him. Um, not convinced Halliburton has enough ability to consistently separate his lead ball handler at the next level. Great footwork, changes pace well, but lacks a degree of burst and shake. Uh, not wildly comfortable with his left hand. I think that's actually a real place of improvement for him. I think he has gotten way more comfortable with his left hand. Uh, much better athlete if he receives the ball in advantage situations where he's either able to take advantage of defenders already on the move or he's already on the move himself. Great passer who sees everything but consistently leaves his feet prior to passing, which could lead to further turnovers in the NBA because you automatically put a clock on yourself. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton in the NBA averaged two and a half turnovers. Didn't fucking matter. Uh, one and a half attempts at the rim in the half court per game, per synergy. Not a great rim pressure guy still. Like that is a real factor for him. And I think that's actually the place where if you're going to see him take that next level, he does need to put a little bit more pressure on the basket and get some e- slightly easier shots. Uh, let's see here. Additionally, there is a concern about whether or not he'll be a threat off of pull-ups at the next level. Uh, while he has great touch and shot well from three, his mechanics aren't suited to him being a high volume pull up threat. Suffer him to get shots off when he's taking them off the bounce. Not really a late shot clock threat. Low release and long load time allows defenders to really contest him. Only made 28.1% of his pull up jumpers this year, according to Synergy, at a 34.2 effective field goal percentage. That made me think that he was probably more of like a Lonzo like secondary. Uh, option as opposed yep. to a primary. That, that was a comp, now, right? Lonzo Ball was a comp that a lot of people had when I looked that up. Yeah. So where I think I was wrong and where Tyrese has exceeded uh, and gotten better and Tyrese deserves all the credit in the world. Tyrese has improved the left hand. He can make like all these crazy like like live dribble passes and everything. Like he's just ridiculous. The jump stop, like the jump passing thing just works. Like some guys can do it. It, it uh, It's become something that, you know, I did that four years ago or whatever. Like that was four cycles ago. I've gotten better and just gotten more comfortable with guys jump passing. Uh, the thing that he's done more than anything, in my opinion, is just his become a guy that can shoot from 29 feet where that doesn't matter. <laughs> Like, like it doesn't matter if you have the lower release point and the long load time. 
if you're shooting from that far away because you're spacing the court from so long away that it's just opening everything up for you. So, yeah, I mean, Ty- Tyrese is a stud, man. Uh, absolutely one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA. Uh, his, I-, I loved him pre-draft. Like I said, I had him, you know, seventh, it looked like there. And I, he is still so far exceeded any expectation that I had of him. Uh, he deserves an immense amount of credit. Yeah. Uh, like I say, he was the one, the other guy I had in this category was Anthony Edwards. We don't have to get into that. That was just another name I had. I'll, I'll try to give the names yeah. just for some of these as we go through, but Tyrese was kind of an easy one for me just because again, I watching team USA, I just loved when they went to the second unit and he came in and I just feel like you could tell the kind of the pace and the flow of the game change. And I, there were other guys involved in that, Sam, but I, I did feel like he was kind of the one leading the charge with that flow. Okay. I will go next now. My, my first guy that I just want to talk about is I, I think we're going to see another Jalen Williams leap this year from Oklahoma city. I think Jalen Williams is it, it for my money. I think still the most like underappreciated future all-star in the NBA. Uh, I honestly like truly think I would take him over Chet Holmgren at this point. And I know that people are really excited about Chet. I, I think Jalen is that special and look like they're not going to have to pick. Uh, they're going to be able to keep both of those guys long term, along with Shea. Like the, this, this is not like an important, you know, comparison point. I think Chet's going to be unbelievable. I think Jalen is going to be a like many time All Star, and you just watch the way that he pressures the basket. Jalen Williams is a rookie last year, fourteen points, four and a half rebounds, three point three assists, fifty two, thirty five, eighty one, but. When you start to look like later in his season, if you go to basically by the time February started, Bryce, do you know what Jalen Williams averaged in his final 26 games of the season? I don't. Um, over, 18 tw- over 20? 18.6 points, 5.4 rebounds, 4.2 assists, 1.9 steals, only 1.8 turnovers. 54.6 field goal percentage, 44.3 three-point percentage, 89.4 free throw percentage. <laughs> if you told me that Jalen Williams goes for like 25 and five this year, I'd be like a little bit surprised, but it wouldn't blow my mind. I think he is absolutely on the road to not just being a like, good complimentary player next to Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think he is on his way to being a genuine, like many time all-star. Every time I watch him, he gets better. He has the physical tools. He's six foot six with a seven foot two wingspan. He has elite of the elite of the elite finishing ability around the basket for a guard. I know that Victor Wembenyama like caught him last night a little bit on the most insane recovery block I've ever seen in my entire life, but you you watch him. Jalen caught him more often, and oh by the way, Jalen Williams takes on tough defensive assignments for Oklahoma City as well. Like typically, Lou takes the best uh, like perimeter guard or anything like that. 
Jalen's the one that's taking the tough wings. If he like, if like they need somebody that's a little bit bigger and longer, and he does a pretty good job on them. He gets into passing lanes. He creates transition opportunities. You know, Rap Stallion asks, does he make an All Star game this year? I think year three. I truly think that that's the road that Jalen Williams is on right now. He is. He has every tool in his toolbox to be a many time All Star. And he's another guy, Sam, just looking at his Santa Clara stats. He got better every single year. Yes. And it, significantly, right? Went up by four points a game and then by seven points a game. Other stats went up as well. You know, some, you know, a little bit up and down. I'll just, I want to read my notes from watching the preseason game today where Chet was actually really, really good as well. This yep. is what I wrote about Jalen Williams though, Sam. Jalen Williams just has this combination of power, plays his ass off, and is extremely skilled, and he played a ton with the ball in his hands in this game and looked completely comfortable. I I, I was so impressed. I, I'm glad you brought him up because I watched that game this afternoon, catching up on it, and I was just like, this kid is explosive. He's strong. But again, he has skill to go with it, and he yeah. plays really, really, really freaking hard. And so he, he's a really exciting young player. Every time i watch jalen williams i just get jimmy butler vibes like every single time i watch him that's who he reminds me of getting to the rim kind of at will when he was younger ability to break down guys the patience the poise the length the strength the physicality like that's just when i watch him i'm just like that's who that's what this is like this is next generation like jimmy butler to me and i don't know if he'll have like the crazy fuck you mentality that jimmy that's butler a huge part have. of jimmy butler right that sometimes goes like under, like forgotten but yeah for from a like stylistic perspective uh i i think jalen is truly special like he yeah. is a truly truly special talent that still not enough people have recognized how special it is like Oklahoma city drilled this pick like the, the draft of him and Chet in the same draft is going to go down as like probably the one that look, I think they're going to win a title like within the next like six years or so. Like, I I think that's the one that's going to make it like beyond, you know, nailing Shea and giddy and everything. Like that's the one. Yeah. I think sometimes because they have drafted really well, even if you go historically back to the KD, James Harden, whatever. It's like, oh, Jalen Williams is really good. And I think sometimes people just go, well, they just say that about every Thunder pick, right? Josh Giddy was a great – and these guys, you watch them play. Like, I was impressed by Giddy today, Sam, whenever I was watching. I thought, Josh is really good. Really he's good. And really he's gonna good. Get, he's going to get forgotten about because SGA is insane. And Chet was incredible. What I liked about – I don't usually like this about guys, Sam – I think sometimes mid post game can be fool's gold, especially NBA draft prospects. I've actually told prospects this before, like, Hey, I realize that mid post game works in college. That's not something NBA teams are going to care about. Like that's fine if it's to get a bucket to win a game, but don't think that NBA teams are going to care about that with giddy. I was watching it today, obviously in an NBA game. I loved it. I was like giddy driving into a mid post up was really fun because he can score and he's got some of that craftiness, but then you know he can pass off it as well. So I know this is supposed to be Jalen Williams' love. I like the other Jalen Williams today as well. I was like, man, this dude is so crafty with what he does. That Thunder team, 
as the closest team to me, second closest team to me where I live, it, it's really exciting. I'm, I'm going to have to find a way to get some more Thunder games this year. Yeah, the Thunder to me are just the way I would draft, like point blank. Uh, they draft, you know, super high feel IQ guys. They draft super uh, length and strength guys, and they draft uh, skill guys. Like, give me skill, give me processing, and give me uh, like positional size, and I can go to I can go to battle with that. Uh, there's just not a weakness in what Jalen Williams' game is right now. Like, you could maybe argue pull up shooting. Uh, he's a good enough shooter to where it's not, you know, a significant risk factor. But he is just so good, and he's going to get better. He gets better every single season. And the other piece of it is these guys that have these well-rounded games that can shoot, they tend to accelerate in terms of improvement level because they can develop counters off of the way that NBA-level defenders have to play them. So when I watch Jalen Williams, I'm just like, this this is going to be rapid-level development, and he is, he is going to be an absolute star. Like, I, I have... I have no, he has every single thing you could want. He can dribble, he can pass, he can shoot, he can defend. Uh, he finishes at an elite level. Uh, you know, he plays with pace. He plays with patience. There's no, there's nothing rushed about his game. Uh, smart off ball defender because of the length, great on ball defender. Like it, it's, he is a extremely complete player for being a guy that's about to start his second season in the NBA. Yep. Now nah, he's, He's a blast. He's so much fun to watch, and and I'm with you. I think he's going to be really, really good. And as the chat is kind of talking about the the toughest thing for him may be SGA, Chet, Giddy, all of this other talent. And until they start getting top three, not finishes, but they're in the top three in the standings, it's hard to get those multi all star selections until you get to that point. And so, to your point, it may be year three for him before he makes an all star game, just because that might take until then where they're that high in the standings for people to put that many Oklahoma city thunder in the game. Yeah. Uh, ESPN rank did their thing today and yeah. Jalen Williams was ranked 95th uh, for them. I would have him like 50th, something like that. Like maybe, you know, in that, I'd have him like right around 50. So that was like 25 spots behind Chet because the guy I'm about, the only reason I know specifically where Chet was is because the guy I'm about to talk about was also in front of Chet or was also behind Chet. And I found that to be interesting. So they had Chet. Let's transition. Let's do it. Cade Cunningham. And I know, I know Sam, I get it. I've been prepared. I just want to say non-Pistons people I asked this question to brought up Kate Cunningham as well. So I know I'm a homer. I get it. It's fine. I'll take all the smoke. To, to be clear, uh, if you hadn't picked Kate, I would have picked Kate. Okay. So, so that makes me feel better. You're fine. So Continue. Here, my real quick one, he is the face of the franchise in Detroit. He is healthy now and he is the unquestioned number one option dude in Detroit. And I just real quickly, I don't think you can say that about a lot of the other guys that were selected in his class, even if those guys have been better than him so far. Jalen Green at least has Fred Van Vliet there now. Mobley is deferring to Mitchell and Garland. Scotty Barnes, we've talked about the Pascal Siakam, even OG. Giddy in that same class. We just talked about SGA and, and we just talked about Jalen Williams and how good he is. Franz has Paolo. So I get it. There's arguments for all of those guys, Sam. 
I'm going to go with the guy who I had number one in that class, was drafted number one, and is unquestionably has the opportunity as the face of the franchise and number one option, and that's Cade Cunningham. First overall pick, five-star recruit out of high school, out of Montverde. He was all-rookie first team. He only played 12 games last year, shin injury derailed all of last season. But I think where the momentum with Cade is coming, Sam, is the Team USA select stuff. And he got a lot of buzz and a lot of love coming out of those scrimmages. Detroit has to be way better, right? They can't win 17 games and Cade start vaulting into somewhat all-star level conversation. I just think Cade is that dude. The roster's a little bit better around him, Sam. We can talk about that. It's a little bit better. Pistons Twitter almost went up in flames today because of what the starting lineup might be. Although you got a shout out. Can, can, on, can we talk? Go ahead. Go ahead. I, on, on my podcast, the Pistons Pulse, you got a shout out in the comments for your call of Alec Burks in the starting lineup. So shout out Sam Vecini. That's the one thing is, you know, how good is the team going to be? Is the shooting around and spacing all of that? But I just think Kate is super talented. Can, can you explain the starting lineup thing for people oh. that aren't Pistons fans? Because, look, I'm too far into the weeds on this shit, and you're even more in the weeds on it. And it, it's just going to be very weird and bizarre. And it's not the kind of starting lineup, in my opinion. And Monty Williams is smart, and I don't want to disparage him. It's not the kind of starting lineup that would uh, accentuate Cade, in my opinion. So the starting lineup we got first preseason game was Cade, Alec Burks, Asar, Isaiah Stewart, and Jalen Duran. Jaden Ivey coming off the bench, which shocked everybody. Very surprising. But the more you thought about it, it's like, okay, Alec Burks can really shoot the ball. And for the record, Boyan Bogdanovich was out with a calf injury, you know, just one of those things, not long-term. So everybody kind of assumed maybe Boyan ends up starting for Stu and add some more floor spacing and all of that. Well, there was a quote that came out today that essentially was like, Burks got the starting nod last second when they found out Bogdanovich wasn't going to play, which threw everybody into a frenzy of the starting lineup actually would have been Cade, Asar, Boyan, Stu, and Duran. Asar is a non-shooter, as good as he's been. Stewart is an unproven shooter as much as some people want to believe in it. And Jalen Duren is a non-shooter so, in that starting lineup. Yeah, Stewart, I think, is probably an okay shooter. It's just that nobody in the NBA gives a shit if they, he they don't guard him. Yeah, they don't guard right. him. They don't guard him. That's the thing. Uh, from a skill set perspective, he has to prove it like over a larger sample to Agreed. get guarded out there. A thousand percent. The... So I've assumed that this was going to be it for a while, right? Uh, that it would probably, I, I figured it would be Ivy instead of a SAR, but I figured Bogey, Stewart, Duran would be the front court for a while. I hate it. I don't like it. Uh, I love Isaiah Stewart as a player. I think that, you know, the Pistons have like the Isaiah Stewart Wars Pistons fan base regularly. Uh, I think you and I both quite like Isaiah Stewart and we I think do. like he's a valuable player. That contract they signed him to, he is super valuable if he is their first big off the bench and Perfect he is work. providing uh, play at both the four and the five. I'm like okay yes. with him playing the four even. Yes. Like if you want to play him next to Jalen, you know, against bench units and do some interesting things, right? Like I'm I'm in favor of that. Like that's all all cool with me. But to me, 
around Cade, you need to surround him with shooting. What I would personally do and what I think I said at the time when I did that thing with James was I would start Cade, Bogdanovich, Burks, Duran, and then one of like Ivy or like Monte Morris even like I, I, I look, they're not going to start Monte Morris and that's just like not going to happen. But like, in my opinion, having a second ball handler out there with Cade, who's like a good decision maker can take pressure off of him, can allow him to move off the ball occasionally. That's the idea with Jaden. But like, I, I just think Monte is a little bit steadier of a hand. And honestly, I would want Jaden against bench units a little bit more often just to allow him to develop at his own pace. So I get it, but I want the shooting around. And Monte is a better shooter than Jaden is at this point as well. Jaden shot okay off the catch last year. I think he was like 38%. I was going to say, that's one thing people need to know. Jaden was very good, not very good, yeah. was solid as a true catch and shoot three point shooter last year. And then obviously yep. has an insane first step to attack closeout. So he, right. I actually believe more in Jaden as an off the ball player than on the ball. I'm not saying he can't play on the ball, but I that's like been, him as an off the ball player. I take the whole way. But he, he was pretty decent on catch and shoots where he's going to space the floor a little bit. If you went K Jaden, Asar Boyan, and then Duran, now you only have two non-shooters and those two non-shooters, Sam are really good passers that play into what K does really well. Asar can be the Bruce Brown for Cade Cunningham that you talked about for Tyrese Halliburton, where he short rolls and makes passes, lobs to Duran, that type of stuff. But yep. So look, I think from a spacing perspective, this thing is going to be a mess early on. The other piece of this that is really important to talk about is Monty Williams as well. For as much as I think Monty Williams is a great coach to help some of these younger guys early on in their careers, like Cade, like Jaden, like Asar, etc. He has a proven track record from his time in Oklahoma City, from his time uh, honestly, like he helped, you know, those younger guys develop in New Orleans as well. Uh, but most importantly in Phoenix, like he did a great job helping them get better at basketball. I just think also that he has not kept up with the times in terms of like modern offensive basketball, as we see by the number of mid-range shots that like, Devin Booker continued to take throughout his time in Phoenix. And I think that I worry about what the shot distribution looks like for this group. The problem is that like, you can't, it's not worth thinking about this because like Monty's going to be there for at least three years, given the contract they gave him. Yeah. Right. If not more. Yeah. So you really just have to make this work around it. And to me, the best way to make it work with Monty is by making sure that Cade has the most space possible because Monty is going to empower Cade to take those mid-range jumpers. And Cade likes to take those shots. And Cade's good at those shots, but you need to have the spacing to be able to do it. Okay, so I've had this debate today, Sam. Do you think Cade taking that many? I think he took probably 10 mid-range jumpers in the preseason game. He missed a ton of them short. It just what he was five of 15. I counted seven misses short. And then he made one or two. Or do you have an overwhelming issue with Cade taking that many mid-range? Because no. 
I personally think Cade is comfortable with that and he likes to operate there. I think the three-point shot is going to be better. I think the shin, whether he says it or not, I think that was a lot of the reason why his lift wasn't there the first couple of seasons in the NBA. And I think he's going to shoot better from three. But I don't know that he's a huge pressure of the rim, get downhill. He has gotten stronger, but I haven't hated the amount of mid-range, but you don't want him forced to take mid-range just because the spacing is so bad. Do you know what would be cool in a way to help him create rim pressure? Spacing the floor around him. They have the guys. So I, I want to disagree. That's with the, the thing. That's they the have. Thing. They do have the guys to do it. Monte Morris, Alec Burks, Boyan, Joe Harris. Joe they Harris. have guys. They have. They do actually. They have acquired guys that can space the floor. So that's if, one thing that I they was, have done. If I was Detroit, I would pro- the way I would do my rotations. I would have Cade in for four minutes. You know, with the starters or whatever, I'd probably pull them, and then I'd have Cade come in to run the second unit. I think is what I would do with the, all those all those veteran with guys, all of the shooters, and with all Monty Burks, Boyan, all of, and almost let yeah. Jaden cook with that almost younger starting lineup group. And and here's the other thing: you you do have a lot. Whatever you want to say, Jalen Duran's going to be a lob threat. Whatever you want to say about like Marvin Bagley and James Wiseman, I, I get it. But Bagley has had good chemistry with Cade being a lob threat. If nothing else, like we don't need to talk about the defense. Bagley has had good chemistry being a lob threat with Cade. So you can put one lob threat out there and then just put shooters around them. Yeah, no, I agree. Like this, this to me is the thing that worries me most about Cade. Like long-term, it's not Cade. (laughs) It's them doing the things to accentuate Cade and what he's capable of. Uh, You look at the way that Dallas has built around Luca. Dallas has built purely spacing around Luca. We can talk about like maybe Cade is not Luca in terms of talent. I think Cade's really fucking good, but I'm willing to, you know, stipulate that. They're similar stylistically. Sure. And, they're not going to like blow anybody off the ball. They're not just going to like, you know, go crazy and attack like in, you know, have an elite first step. They need the space. They need that ability to operate in that mid range area and have shooters have to hug or have defenders have to hug to shooters. shooters. Like it's that, that's how you get the most out of them in my opinion. So I, I just hope um, we still get that. And one final thing, cause I know we got to move on to your next guy. One thing I love about Kate is the intangibles. It, it doesn't get talked yeah. about enough. I don't know that everybody else sees it. Those of us that watch Pistons 82 games and you know watch everything, the quotes, everything. This guy has been mature from day one in the NBA, and he is the unquestioned leader of this team at his age in year three. And that's one thing I've always said that he's been tasked with that maybe not everybody in his draft class has been tasked with. He is literally the face of the franchise, and he is the face of the team he is the leader the leader of the team and that's always really stood out to me with Kate okay next up Jaden McDaniels is going to be my next pick yes uh Jaden McDaniels is going to make first team all defense this year yes in my opinion and let's focus on the defense first and then we're going to go to the offense I went back and watched Jaden's like defense like clips basically um he is insane on defense he's so good uh, 
he is like bonkers good in terms of his ability to guard on the ball and his ability to guard away from the ball. Uh, I had him on my all defense teams last year. I I felt pretty good about it. I ended up with my forwards being Jaron, Evan Mobley, McDaniels, and OG Ananobi. And I feel like people did not understand enough what Jaden McDaniels was able to do. He shadows wings. He's able to guard perimeter players at a super high level. Uh, His ability to stay in front of guys defensively is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, His ability to mirror his footwork to their footwork, his length to contest, uh, even if he gets beaten, his length to recover, even if he's in screening scenarios, he's super uh, aggressive with his hands. He's disruptive. He is legitimately, I think, I think he's probably the best wing defender right now. Uh, Here's my quote or my notes from the game. This kid can flat out guard on the perimeter with three explanation points, Sam. He's long, lanky, not in a negative way, and can move his feet and flip his hips, but also, and here I think this is important, strong enough to hold up against the bulk of Luka. And we know how Luka just bullies guys sometimes. So to have that length, but have the hips, Sam, as you alluded to, to mirror and flip and change direction. But then when Luca gets into you with his body, with his shoulder, and you can keep your hands out and take that, that is another level that not everybody has. And he is able to do that. I think he's big time on the defensive end. I'm really, really interested again in the offensive conversation with him because as we know, offense drives a lot of narratives in the at every level of basketball let's let's not play around high school you know shoot my third grade son is probably gonna you know it's gonna drive his narrative as well but what is it gonna be offensively for him i'm really interested so here's the thing if you look at his last 21 games last year it really started to come on he averaged 15 points on 53 percent from the field 45 percent from three he started to figure it out a little bit more. His issue is like, they just have a lot of guys that dominate the ball, right? Like Anthony Edwards, Carl Towns, those guys are going to be the ones that get most of the ball, but he's a good enough three point shooter at this point. He hit 39.8% last season uh, that he can play on the court with those guys where I think he has always been interesting and I didn't really buy it coming out of college, but there is a lot there in terms of potential, at least is, do you remember him in high school at all? Like playing for federal way and like some of the, so like he was a shot creator. He was like a six foot 10 shot creator in college or in high school. That's who he was. That's why he was a five-star recruit. It's why he was like considered at one point, he was probably at one point, like this number two player in that class, something like that. Uh, He might've even cracked number one at one point, but he was always the big wing shot creator prototype that everybody looked for. And I think you started to see more flashes of that last year, later in the season with him being able to attack closeouts, get to a mid range jumper, get all the way to the rim. Look, I I don't know where the pull up game is in terms of like being able to shoot from three. That's, you know, probably the next differentiator if he's to like take that next level forward. But what we've seen from Jaden McDaniels offensively in terms of his growth last season 
makes me think that like he might be a player that goes for like 15 points, five or six rebounds, two assists per game, uh, shoots, you know, 50, 40, 75 or something like that. And then is also all defense. And those guys are top, what, 50 players in the league, something like that. Top 60 players in the league. Sam, why did he fall to the end of the first? So like that draft class, I was not involved with scouting yeah. anything at all. He, As you mentioned, former five-star recruit, consensus top 20 guy. And as you mentioned, even higher at times, his college numbers weren't gross. I mean, he averaged 13 points. He only shot 41% from the field, 34% from three. 76% from the free throw line, almost six rebounds, two assists. He did turn the ball over quite a bit. Uh, you know, I'm assuming he was playing a lot of zones, so the defense wasn't able to really shine the way you would want. But why the end of the first round fall with Jaden McDaniels? Yeah, so Jaden, uh, Jaden was 2020, wasn't he? 2020, uh, yep. Yep, 2020. Here, 2020 NBA draft guide. Uh, there were some, he had some like emotional outbursts on the court. Okay. That's what I thought there was some of that stuff. Okay. And look, I I was not like an enormous fan of him pre-draft. I had him at 30. He goes what some, something like there, right? Uh, let's see here. Weaknesses. Oh, chronic fouler fouled out of eight games and had four or more fouls in half of his games. Okay. Chase steals and blocks a lot. Um, got himself out of position on defense a lot. Uh, wild with swats, uh, wild, you know, choices in recovery tendency to get out of control on the ball here. I can share the screen while I'm going through this. And people can laugh at how bad I was at this in 2020 again. I enjoy that. Um, let's see here. Uh, turnover rate was among the highest for any player, uh, any perimeter player in the class. Not strong enough. I thought he was basically, this is kind of what it comes down to. I thought he was like a good creator for six foot 10, but not an actual like skilled creator sure. yep. kind of thing. Um yeah, that that's what bothered me about him. And then defensively, it, it just he just wasn't as good as what he was, uh, or what he is in the NBA. Like I noted in the strength section here, potential defensive versatility is high. Uses his quick twitch, reactivity, and length really well off the ball to make things happen. Was a legitimate weak side rim protector this year, rotate, rotating across the paint. That has continued for what it's worth. Uh, played a lot on the lower wing and up top in the two, three zone Washington runs had a great feel for when to adventure down toward the rim and go for a block. Uh, teams always had to be aware of his presence when he was asked to defend a one-on-one out on the top or in the corners. He did well for the most part by sliding and staying in front of his man needs to get stronger, but has the potential to be relatively switchable in role as well as someone who can be a menace in help situations. So, I liked him more in help defense than I did in on ball defense, which makes sense because like he played in that goofy ass zone and you know, we need to outlaw the zone. I was going to say, is there anything worse than turning on a film and wanting to scout a player, especially defensively and the team's playing yeah. zone? I, I, it's just, I, I've done it with high school kids, Sam. I'll just, I just fast forward the defensive clips at a certain point. I'm like, I, you can it's so funny. 
you can get some stuff out of it, but eventually, I don't remember who it was last year. I was trying to scout, and the, their their high school defense was just like, okay, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm just going to scout him as an offensive player, and I'll wait till he plays some college minutes to figure out what he is on the defensive end. Yep, uh, really tailed off late in the season uh, at Washington. Played poorly in Pac-12 play. He like wasn't starting by the end of the year. I forgot okay. that. Okay. Um, several technical fouls and emotional outbursts throughout the season. Uh, a few solid games to close it out. Um, need to pr- improve consistency and ability to stay engaged throughout full games when things went wrong. Uh, 3.2 turnovers per game is a big number. Uh, man, 1.4 blocks per game is essentially a wing. It's just like a crazy, crazy number. Um, and yeah, NBA evaluators were all over the map on him. So yeah, that's basically right. Grade, late first, early second due to upside. So yeah. Um, I figured someone would take a plunge in the top 25, but that didn't happen. Yeah, nah, it, it'll be interesting. And again, it'll be interesting with Anthony Edwards and kind of his star and how it has risen. Obviously, Cat, mm-hmm. Gobert, just how much attention is he going to get? And then is he going to get the due defensive attention or are people just going to say, well, Gobert's anchoring the defense there. And I, I just don't, you know how narratives can happen, Sam. I don't think it'll happen with Jay. Yeah. His name is, has, has popped enough. I just worry about that sometime with guys of, oh, well, he's, they have Gobert behind them or something like that. Yeah. I think that, uh, I, I think that Nikias Duncan and I will stop that from happening this year. <laughs> Love it. Nikias and I will talk about Jaden on defense enough to where that won't be the case uh you are up uh bryce go for it okay i'm gonna give you three names and, and again guys like we had a ton of names so so a, many a, a full list but we had to narrow it down at some point i'm talking about guys who kind of just turn into a starter level players maybe six man really good role players somewhere in that range so i'm gonna throw out three names sam again this has to do with opportunity maybe they've underachieved up to this point whatever it is maybe some momentum Jabari Smith Jr., mm-hmm. Christian Brown, Jonathan mm-hmm. Kaminga. I know we can't talk in depth about all three. Do we want to just pick one? Is there one of those names that stands out to you that we want to dive into or surface level on three and why I brought up those three names? I've talked a decent amount about Christian Brown recently, so maybe okay. let's pass on him. Okay. Uh, I feel like I've not talked a lot about Kaminga recently. Let's do it. So let's maybe talk about Kuminga. What made you pick Jonathan in this case? I just can't quit him, man. And like, I will <laughs> readily admit that that's not a rational reason and I can get cooked for it and I understand and I will happily take it. Again, I was just like watching these preseason games and I'm not trying to overreact to one preseason game. I realize it's a preseason game, but he just is so damn athletic man and he can put it on the deck a little bit he is skilled he shot the ball well in that game he shot 37 percent from three last year though in the 67 games he played and the other thing is i think he's gonna have to he he has to play finally right kerr has to let these guys play at some point and i guess i just feel like this is the year where he finally turns these guys loose out of necessity if nothing else and so I, I'm just going to go with Kaminga here and that he's really going to turn into, I guess, the player that a lot of us have always thought he could be. 
I thought the flashes late in the regular season last year were yes. really strong. Yep. Uh, I thought that they did some intriguing things like playing him as a small ball center at times that they, they let him like kind of get out in space and really attack and transition and kind of use the athletic tools that are just so readily apparent and absurd. Right. Uh, where I'm a little bit worried. And I think I wrote about this recently. Maybe I can't remember if I wrote about it or talked about it. It all blends together, <laughs> but how do they get him on the court in the playoffs is kind of my question because you have Draymond green, you have Kevon Looney. um, Well, you have, yeah, Kevon Looney, you have Gary Payton, the second who is ahead of him in the rotation and Sarich. Yeah. And then you have Dario as well. It's just from a spacing perspective, you have these four non shooters realistically. And I think Kuminga is the fourth guy among those four non-shooters, at least in the minds of the coaching staff at this point. So I wonder, like, that's why Moses Moody play ahead of him. Like Moses Moody was worse than Kuminga late in the season last year. But from a lineup construction perspective in a playoff game, it's really hard to get Kuminga on the court when you're going to play Draymond Looney and Gary Payton the second. So I just don't, yeah, I don't know. I just wonder if he's, and when I say 82 game player, I mean, just like a guy that's kind of a more of a regular season player teams like the Warriors need players like that, Sam, they're older. They're going to get tired. They're going to not take nights off because the NBA fixed this a little bit, but they're going to need a guy like Kaminga to come in and just do crazy athletic stuff to get energy going, get some offensive rebounds. If he can shoot the ball pretty well, that's going to obviously make it easier. I just think he can fit into that role. And then if he can only play against certain matchups in the playoffs, so be it. But that still would be a breakout into the category we're discussing right now into not a starter level, but a has a role on a really good team that's beyond what we've seen from him thus far. I just, I think he can fill that kind of role that a team like the Warriors needs. Yeah, no, I, I dig that. And I think that's a really, really, it's a good call. And like, honestly, and I, I this is what I mentioned realistically. I, I think I would trade him if I was okay. Golden State. Just because I, I think it's hard to envision roster and lineup constructions that like work for him. Maybe I'm not being creative enough from a spacing perspective and with their motion offense, they can try and make it work. But if I was them, I would try to move him just in terms of getting the asset value that he he is interesting. Like people have real interest in him around the league. Like he's, he's so young, like he's so gifted and physically capable. It's just, from a skill perspective, I just don't know what it looks like yet, I guess. No, and that's he's shown enough where I think teams would be interested. Can I give you the draft scout comps real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Sean Marion with bulk, a bunch of Luol okay. Dings. And here was the interesting one. A couple, there were Jalen Brown comps. Yeah, no, that was that was popular back then okay. for sure. Yeah. Uh considering him like Jalen, because Jalen uh, really struggled to like really pressure the rim at Cal uh, bizarrely because their team, like it was like Kingsley Okoro, Ivan Rab. Uh, they had a big, tall white guy too. Uh, no, it wasn't Cameron Rooks. Maybe it was Cameron Rooks. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's 
they had like real issues there. And then Kaminga, you know, played on the Ignite. Those Ignite teams never have yep. any floor spacing. So, you know, kind of a, it was like a similar vibes situation. I do remember that draft. He it was supposed to be a consensus top five, right? Cunningham, Green, Mobley, mm. Barnes, and him, or Suggs uh, and him. Suggs, Suggs and him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Barnes jumps everybody yeah. at, at four. And then Giddy yeah. jumped in there as well. And Kaminga yep. fell fell to, to seven, which was, was interesting. Yeah. Uh you mentioned who else did you mention there? You mentioned uh one J- other JSJ, Jabari Smith Jr. And then, quick, quick word on Jabari because I feel like we've talked a little bit about Jabari recently as well. But what made you pick Jabari here? Uh, he's another guy. I was a huge fan of his coming out of college. I had him number two behind Paolo. I did have Paolo number one in that class. I think that was the first class I really scouted. And I just, Sam, I don't know that I've watched somebody in my short time doing this that I would literally go, oh my God holy shit like wh- whenever he would make some of the shots he was making at arbor it, it, some of the shot making was just crazy and then i got to see it up close at summer league some of the stuff he and I, I realize it's summer league but it just felt like he had some of that swagger back and that confidence that it felt like he lost in his rookie season i just believe in him as a big time shooter i still believe in him as an impactful defender i just wonder if he's a guy with a better team around him as well, more talented team around him, some more creators around him, if he just makes a really nice jump into year two. I think you've said that he was probably the most impressive player you saw at Summer League along with his teammate Tari Eason. And so I just, I think he, I think we're going to see closer to the player we thought we were going to see as a rookie. I agree. Uh, Also in the time that we've been recording, how long do you think it took Dylan Brooks to get ejected? From Shut his first up. Rockets he game? did not. He did not get ejected in a preseason game. He's, he did, he's doing it on purpose. Like he, you know what? This, I kinda, for what it's worth, I want to be clear. I, I don't think this one was pers- purposeful, but he did catch, uh, I believe it was Daniel Tice, like in the nuts. Uh, if you find the clip, it's, I don't think he – I think he was trying to get around a screen and, like, the left hand got a little bit loose. But, like, five minutes into a preseason game? Come on, Dylan. Minutes into it. Oh, I'm sorry. I have volume on my phone as I'm trying to pull up this clip. He's just playing five into minutes. the narrative. I, I, sometimes – you know what, Sam? Sometimes I just appreciate people who say, this is who everybody thinks I am. This is the narrative around me. That's just who I'm going to be. I'm just going to do that. So oh, why not? God. I, again, I, you're going to watch this and you're going to think like, I don't know what you're going to think, to be honest. I think the, maybe he did, but I thought that it was like he was trying to get around a screen and the left arm just got a little loose. But uh, the other, I really did consider Tari Eason as well. Like I, I yeah, very strongly thought about Tari. Tari is somebody that is going to just earn minutes by playing hard and being so, so aggressive. And like, again, the reason I didn't love the Dylan Brooks contract is because I think there's a non-zero chance Tari Eason is just like better than Dylan Brooks this year. Uh, so yeah, like I, I think that Tari is a great name to have here as well. 
I misevaluated Tari coming out because I thought he was one of those risk takers defensively that just jumped every passing lane and was a little bit overzealous. And, and mm-hmm. I wasn't able to like kind of fish out, you know, that translating better than what yeah. it has so far. <laughs> Do you know what the cool thing is? If you're Tari Eason and you are six foot nine with a seven foot two wingspan and an elite athlete and you're you stronger can recover. than everybody. And yeah, uh, you know, you play harder than everybody. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, you can, you can recover and it's okay. <laughs> it just truly does not matter. Yeah. Yep. Tari. I, I love Tari. I love watching him play. Um, Love the aggressiveness. That was a guy I was high on pre-draft. I had him, I think, at 12 or something like that on my board. Um, just play so hard. Like, guys with those physical tools, like, they just don't fail, really. Like, if you're that big, that long, play with that hard of a motor, uh, and you're that athletic, it, it's so hard to fail. Yeah. No, it, I'm learning lessons every single year with this <laughs> stuff, and uh, yeah. that was definitely one of them. Okay. Uh, the last guy I want to talk about is Tyrese Maxey. And we, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk maybe about a couple others here momentarily too. But like Matt Maxey was the last big one that I felt like was necessary to talk about because the role that is coming for him is going to be enormous. He averaged 20 last year. You know, he shot 48% from the field, 43% from three. There's a real case Tyrese Maxey broke out last year. I get it. Uh, I think he might average 25 this year. And that jump from going from being like a 20 point scorer now to 25 per like point scorer, that's the big jump now. Like it used to be if you're a 20 point per game scorer, like you are a dude in the NBA, but because pace, because space like is all improved. The fact that you can go to 25 now, that that's the level you want to get to to be like an elite scorer. I think Maxi is his speed, his touch, like the ability to knock down pull-ups, the ability to knock down floaters, like on the run, high speed. He does everything at speed, doesn't turn the ball over. He's aggressive. Like all of this just makes me think he's going to be a 25 point per game scorer like this year. Yeah. This is the ultimate really talented player gets a really big opportunity and just takes it and runs with it. And if they ship James Harden out for like, we've talked about earlier in the episode, not bringing anybody back. That's going to take any of that usage. Quite honestly, Maxie's going to get all of that usage, Sam. And based off his numbers, his improvements, his game, he's going to be ready to take it. And yeah, the, the the numbers are impressive in terms of assist to turnover ratio. The three-point percentage is absolutely insane. And at the end of the day, you're still playing off one of the best players in the NBA in Joel Embiid. And so there's just a there's a world there that he's a situation he's working in that he could really flourish and and really blow up even more than what he has. Yep. No, I agree. Uh Maxi, I think, is gonna be awesome. And like having that guy that can hopefully step in and replace James Harden. The thing for him now is going to be, can he step into more on ball, like ball screens? And, you know, once the defense really pressures him where he's not the third option anymore, he's the primary perimeter option and he's the second option. Like how does that adjustment come? 
I always thought that like his point guard skills when he played for like RM five, like on the AAU circuit, like I thought he actually like had some. And I thought that he was pretty sharp and knew where the reads were. Definitely always more scoring based, but I always thought that he was pretty solid with those. So he might be able to take like a real leap in terms of his uh passing and playmaking this year after averaging three and a half assists per game last year. So if he's up around like six assists per game, 24 points a game, like that's a that's gonna be in the all-star conversation, I would venture. Yeah, that those will be the interesting numbers, right? Can you increase those the assist numbers while keeping a really solid ratio with the assist to turnovers? Because like you're right, all of a sudden you're the number one perimeter player on a scouting report and a scheme. You know, a lot of times going into a six, how are we going to defend the Harden and Bead pick and roll or isolations or whatever? Now it's they're going to load up to stop Maxi in the best way possible. And so it'll be interesting, uh, not doubting him, but that would be what he would have to overcome is with this higher usage also comes a whole lot more attention in those type of situations to create for others without turning the ball over. Yep. Uh, Last final thoughts here. Any, any names you want to just toss out because you have like 40 in this document. I have a lot of names in that document. We won't even say them all. Austin Reeves, man. Like we can't, I don't think we've talked about Austin Reeves since I've joined the podcast. And I just want to talk about Austin Reeves. He fits a lot of these opportunity. He does. Mom- momentum. Sam, does anybody have more momentum than Austin Reeves right now in the NBA? Here, here's what I want to say. I feel like a little bit Austin has become a little bit like what's the, a novelty because he's the white guy on the Lakers and he was undrafted and he's from Arkansas and he's this, you know, super nice from the country, yeah, blah, blah. Like, the hillbilly bogey Twitter or a TikTok account. Like, yeah, like, the, yeah. right. You know what I mean? I think what's going to happen this year is people are going to find out like they're going to love Austin Reeves because Austin Reeves can really freaking play. That's what's going to happen. It's not just, you know, this super nice final 10 games of the season. 18.6 assists on 57, 49, 90, 16, oh, for, forget, yeah, 16 forget playoff the, games, yeah. 17 points, four and a half assists on 46, 44, 90. This dude can flat out play and he's going to be the third best player on one of the best teams in the league. And I just think it's going to go from what it was, whatever, like this dude is really, really good on the Lakers. And I just wanted to bring him up. I think he goes for like 18, five and five this year and is just like a monster for the Lakers. Like, look, they have enough dudes. Like they have, you know, Rui will score 10 and, you know, AD and LeBron will score 25 to 30 each. And like Gabe Vincent's going to be in there. D'Angelo is still there. Obviously like they have dudes that are just going to take up, some usage that are probably going to stop him from getting to, you know, 26 and five or something like that. Right. But he's, he is the unquestioned dude on that perimeter. Like it's there, there should be no question. There should be no ifs, ands or buts about it. Like he, he is, he is going to be like, if he makes an all-star game at some point, I don't think he'll do it this year because I don't think the Lakers will get more than two. And I don't think that he'll pass AD or LeBron, but like 
he, I think he has a good shot to make an all-star game at some point. Okay, so that's what I was going to ask Sam, and NBA rigged asked this as well. Is he unquestioned the third best player on the Lakers? And if he yes. is, can the third best player on the Lakers, if let's say they're the one seed at the all-star break, I think the third best player on the Lakers could make an all-star game. So here, this is where like trying to get into all-star math becomes an issue. Uh, do you think he makes it over Steph, Shea, Anthony Edwards, Jamal Murray? Um, let, let's see here. Kawhi, Paul George, uh, Devin Booker, uh, Bradley Beal. I think you have a shot to make it over Beal, to be honest. Yeah. Um, De'Aaron Fox, that's yes. nine. John Morant's going to miss the first 25, so maybe he does make it over John Morant. Um, it, the, what, Luca and Kyrie, that's 11 guys, not including John Morant. So the, the, I, I think it's a no on All-Star because, like, look, half of those guys could get hurt and he still wouldn't make the All-Star. Yeah. Like, that that's what makes this hard, I think, for yeah. Austin to make an All-Star game. But I think at some point he will have a shot. No, and that's that's what's hard, right? Is I just because it's the Lakers, and in a world where they're the one seed at the All Star, and Rap Stallion brings this up. This is kind of what I put in my notes: is does he get the Andrew Wiggins like fan vote that just explodes because it's Austin Reeves and everybody loves him? And then because you're such a like, if you look at the the Andrew Wiggins, he was still getting the media vote and the player vote at a pretty high clip as well. It wasn't just the fan vote that got him there. Other people were voting him top five. I just don't think that I'm with you. I just wanted to live in that world for a little bit where Austin Reeves makes an all-star game because I'm just such a big fan. And you you saw him on team USA. He's got his shoe out there. I, I just love what Austin Reeves is doing right now. And you know, the Lakers. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, great great job getting him and so uh, i i love it i love it for him yeah i'm with it too uh you mentioned a few bigs here and yeka kongwu mark williams jalen duran i think statistically all those guys will break out um you know how effective it'll be on winning we'll see right uh you know marjan beauchamp christian brown Ochai, you know, all these Utah guys. Basically. I put Jordan Poole in there because I got a lot of Jordan Poole responses from people. And I think it was solely, is he going to score 25 points a game in Washington? Because it's an NBA team that needs somebody to score 25 points a game. Yeah. 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 I don't think he'll make the all-star game if he does it, but you know, Bradley, Bradley Beal's done that before and not made the all-star game, but I think that he'll be, you know, a super productive player at the very least on like I'm- a, yeah, I got shout out my basis. guy uh, Malachi Flynn as well. I think he's going to get a chance. Like I think he's finally going to get a chance in Toronto to be the backup point guard. I'm not talking about some. We're not talking all star. I'm not talking about starter. Yeah. But I think I think Malachi is going to get a chance this year to show his game. I think he's a really good player. Let me ask you this: Who on the Heat roster is going to like? If you I was had to, literally okay. about to ask you this question. I, yeah, I don't so. have. I don't. I don't have an answer. That's why I ask you. I think that my answer is probably Hawkes. I think so too. I like him a little bit more than I like Jovic. Uh, I, I think I would go Hawkes. The other name that I want to bring up to people, and I feel like it's just that like this person has gotten like no love whatsoever, despite the fact that he was pretty good last year at the end of the year, 
Zach Collins is good, and he is going to start next to Victor Wembanyama. And he like, had a ton of usage. I know his preseason game, Sam, they were throwing it to him in the post. He was, pick, I think he took two or three pick and pop three pointers. They yes, made an yes. emphasis to get him the ball. I think him, and then I, I wrote Malachi Branham down as well. Just he's not going to start, but coming off the bench as guys that are going to get usage. But yes, Zach Collins for sure. Yeah, Zach Collins in his last 29 games last season, 14.4 points, seven rebounds, 3.3 assists. Uh, 51% from the field, 38% from three on over three attempts per game, 81% from the foul line. Uh, he's tough. He's a body in there. He defends. He's willing to be physical. Like Zach Collins is going to be a very like useful, valuable, like, like he's, he, he's going to play real minutes for them. And, and they're going to have a good defense because he and Victor Wembanyama combining together on the interior is going to be very, very, very hard to score on. Yep. I got some people like the Memphis Grizzlies, like Jake LaRavia, Sante Adon, but the Grizzlies are just so deep, Sam. I don't know. Like, I didn't know who yeah, to know. pick. You know, it's tough. Somebody is going to what, you know, one of those guys, you know, David Roddy, whatever. Uh, yep. LaRavia can really shoot it. And so maybe, you know, he's one of those guys. He finds a shooting stroke over the summer, comes back this second year, kind of like what we talked about with JSJ and, and really finds that. But the Grizzlies, it's kind of tough just because there's so many bodies that to, to yep. pick one as opposed to a team like the Heat that we just talked about where they need somebody to stand out. The Spurs are going to need somebody to stand out. And so those opportunities yep. are going to be there. That's right. Uh, Bryce, I think we're going to call it there. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, so at Motor City Hoops on Twitter, I tweet about the Pistons, NBA draft, NBA basketball in general. If you're a Pistons fan and you haven't found us, the Pistons Pulse with my guy Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And I finally got done with my 2023 NBA draft team reviews over at Draft Digest. Put out my first 2024 article on the G League Ignite. I've written about Perth and Alex Saar. Uh, the Corns and Bobby Clintman, Tarn Armstrong are coming up. So I'll be doing all that at Draft Digest. Sam, I'm glad we got to announce the news. <laughs> I'm so happy for Adam and everything he's doing. Yeah. And I can't thank you enough for choosing me and extending this to me to step into those shoes and come on and talk hoops with you every week. Of course. No, it's funny. So, you know, you mentioned Bobby Clintman as well. Uh, Bobby Clintman went one for 12 today oh. uh, for Cairns. I, I want to just kind of notes people um bobby like the way that the karen's travel was they had two games in three nights then the next day they had a 16 hour flight then the next day they had a practice there also is apparently a bug kind of going through the team uh i think that like sam wardenberg and sam menenga their two bigs did not play in this game uh, because there's like kind of a bug going through the team a little bit. So th this is like not even a game that anybody should evaluate like for Bobby Clintman. Like this is a, this is Who has total... been really good. Sam, the last three, he was solid in the blitz. He's been, I think really good in the three NBL regular season games. Th that's kind of what I wanted to say. If you go back and you watch his last two games for Cairns, they were quite good. And, and like worth actually going through the tape and like watching. Yes. Um, 
So just like I know they lost like 145 to 82 or whatever. This was the biggest schedule loss in the history of the NBA. <laughs> and, and I hope that the preseason betters uh, picked up on my tweet that I let out yesterday saying like, just so people know, uh, for people looking forward to the NBA NBL game, Karen's coming off of two games in three days, then a 16 hour flight, then one practice, one, one game day interested to see if their legs will be there. Uh, seems clear that it wasn't there. <laughs> um, of course, Bryce, I'm excited to have you on the show. It's going to be great. Um, what, what else? What else do I have to, I have to plug, uh, did the big Alex R deep dive breakdown, over on the YouTube channel. Go to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Do everything you can there to support that. Uh, I will do... Maybe I will do Bobby Clintman. I kind of mentioned at the end of that that I would do Bobby Clintman next. Maybe I will do those two games that Bobby played this past weekend and do like a tape breakdown maybe tomorrow. I might try and do that. Um, And just kind of run through some of the things that we see with Bobby that are interesting. Uh, what else, what else, what else, what else do I got? I've got, um, another podcast later this week. So go, go listen to the podcast. It it might have Adam. It might not. I might try and do like a bit of an extensions look, uh, for some of these 2020 guys and try and look at what's coming down the pike. And it'll generally be like a 2020 NBA draft overlook view of how that has worked out at this point. Um, I think that's all we got. So let's call it here an hour 48 until next time folks for Bryce Simon. I'm Sam Vecini. We'll talk soon. Bye.